and welcome to our podcast. My name is Madeline Ward. My name is Serena Kabir. And I'm Keen Debler. And uh, today we're going over opinion pieces, three opinion pieces written by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And the first piece we'll be going over is athlete activism. So, so, yeah, go ahead. Um, so the first thing we wanted to discuss is what is Cream's stance in the article? Yeah, so um, in this article, um, Cream believes that it's unfair how, um, how athletes basically aren't allowed to have political opinions and how people see them only as um, athletes that are supposed to perform on courts and fields. And so throughout the article, he'll be developing an argument. And the fir- with the first paragraph, he basically, he goes over what this argument is going to be. He explains how athletes are treated. And in the second paragraph, he goes over his personal experience with, um, with how this works. And so um, I'm going to ask uh, Maddie, what's the... What's the um, the effect of Kareem using his personal experience in that article? Um, Kareem uses his personal experience and describes his backstory and what thing what people have actually said to him in order to make a connection with the audience because it's kind of showing like this isn't just even though he was an NBA basketball player, it's not this happened, um, like a long time ago and he even stated that he was writing about politics longer than he played basketball and yet people were still saying to him you should stick to basketball like you shouldn't really be talking about that stuff and he describes that he's a father a businessman an education advocate a journalist a charity organizer and a huge sports fan in order to kind of show that he's like a normal person too and he he does have a great influence, but he still try is trying to make a connection with the audience. Yeah, and so right off of that, he continues to develop his argument by saying those who dismiss someone's opinion are also dismissing their own opinions. And um, so as we continue through the article, we get to when he starts to use all of his examples to support his argument. So um, what is the effect of using, um, of using real-life examples in his article? Um, he uses real-life examples such as the University of Missouri football players and football players from the Rams um, taking action in boycotts and protests such as a hands-up-don't-shoot gesture to protest the shooting of Michael Brown Ferguson to show that athletes are, in fact, activists, even though it might not be publicized because a lot of people actually haven't heard about these things happening. And they hear about um, athletes kneeling for the national anthem, but they don't really hear about um, people taking part in these protests because the the media kind of shies away from it as athletes quote unquote aren't really supposed to be doing that type of thing and they're not exposed to exposed to be um 
projecting their own opinion and they're supposed to be sticking to the sport they play, which is what Kareem is trying to say. And adding on to Maddie, um, at one point in the article, um, um, Kareem raises a rhetorical question, um, which is, what if now that athletes have found their voice, they won't shut up? Which um, brings back the idea of if athletes are able to, I guess, like, or if they're able to finally establish their own opinion um, politically and advocate their opinions and feelings about it, then fans might get, like, I guess, annoyed or get mad at them for doing so, which has been the circumstances in many cases um, because, like, they, they want um, sports to be, like, nothing or nothing politically uh, related and they just want um, – sports to be their way of to escape of uh, to escape from politics so um that raises a concern uh, between fans and athletes even though athletes should have their own freedom to talk about their own beliefs and their political beliefs yeah and so to continue with how the article is structured after he gives examples of how players have been protesting um he also explains how the government has used athletes for foreign policy how in 1971, U.S. table team friendly exchange was used for um, relations between U.S. and China. In 1980, the U.S. and a bunch of other countries boycotted the Summer Olympics. And he uses all these facts appealing to the logos. And But then he explains how once an individual player makes their decision about boycotting something or have has their own political belief they are condemned and he gives examples for that as well with Muhammad Ali and um his own his own um his own boycott in the 1960 Olympic basketball team and so now we can move on to the next article about cultural appropriation so um Keen um again um what is Kareem's stance in this article yeah so um in this article, Kareem believes that a lot of black culture is being taken away by white people, whether it's used for profit or statements. And um, he explains that white people think, oh, they're just um, making black culture part of American culture. But he expresses that this is kind of taking away black culture and how this is unfair and with his opinion on this, he starts he starts off this article um, explaining with an example of the cornrow type of hairstyle and how a lot of famous people have used them and how that is kind of offensive to African American culture. And let's see. Um, Maddie, what rhetoric devices have you seen so far in the first paragraph? Um, in the first paragraph, towards the very bottom of the like one of the last sentences, he states, "Dominant white American culture of stealing cherished icons of identity from the sub the subjugated black culture, kind of like wearing the teeth of your privileged enemy as a necklace." So this is an analogy to put the entire um, cultural appropriation into perspective as some people don't, as some people see it as kind of um, being 
like accepting of the culture whereas he's putting an analogy that shows it how offensive it actually can be and he chooses the word enemy which is a very strong word um to display the division and opposition between race in our society and later in the next passage he provides two rhetorical questions and one of them um, basically asks like isn't this a good thing like we're accepting black culture into American culture it's the best way to end racism which is kind of like acting as the counter argument for what he's trying to say and then the other question immediately follows and it shows that cornrows are basically equal to another version of blackface, which shows how offensive and basically wrong um, such a simple hairstyle can actually be to the culture. And adding on to what uh, Maddie said in the first paragraph, um, Kareem uh, mentions several celebrities uh, as an example of um, people who have um, use or have, have worn cornrows and so he mentions Fergie, Gwen Stefani, Heidi Klum, uh, Paris Hilton, Justin Timberlake and um, more um, if, as people as examples of people who have worn cornrows and majority of these people are white people and um, as uh, Maddie was also saying um, it, it like it can be sh- or as like uh, Kareem mentions that it can be shown as like an like an like um, can be like um, similar to black facing because even though um, they are wearing, like, I guess they're kind of like, can, they can be seen as they are promoting um, African-American heritage and culture. It's more of them using it as like, a fashion style rather than them actually culture uh, culturally appropriating um, their type of a uh, um, hairstyle. Yeah, and um, in this article there is the use of the counter argument he talks about how although white people have taken a lot of culture away from african-americans african-americans have been able to do some cultural appropriation of their own and he used a a lot of um the statistics and um, facts and so uh once again i'd like to ask serena what's the effect of using all these real life examples um he's using um these real life examples to show like I guess, like, how much um, African-Americans have impacted, um, I guess, like, America as a whole, because even though um, African-Americans are a large minority group in America, they have done a tremendous amount of work in the country, like, their music um, has been, like, I guess, like, jazz music, for example, um, is, like, a big example of, like, how much it's it's affected America because there are a lot of Americans who like jazz music and um, he also mentions that like there's that said more than 77% of NBA players and 67.3% players in the NFL are African American and it shows that um, even though they are a minority group um, they're still able to dominate certain fields in America yeah and just to bring this article full circle he Kareem um refers to the cornrows again in his um final like two sentences, um referring back to the beginning of the article and how this whole discussion was started, and so now we're gonna move on to the third article, uh the oh wait what's the, the third article is the anti-racism movement and so I'm gonna ask Serena, what's what's um Kareem's stance on this. 
So Kareem's main stance is, um, like, while the Black Lives Matter movement is great and, the, in general, the anti-racism movement is a great thing, it is not sustainable. Like, in the past, there have been several instances where um, African-Americans have faced injustice. Um, but then, like, more recently, like, suddenly, after, like, for example, um, more recently and suddenly, it's been uh, more of, like, a social uproar when, in reality, this movement should have been lasting for a long time and it should have, there should have been much more attention to it in the past rather than specifically right now. Like, um, he, um, so I guess in, um, the, in one of the paragraphs, he, uh, mentions that, um, he mentions, um, Eric Garner, who was choked to death five years ago, um, and how there wasn't, um, that much of like a social uproar um, versus when George Floyd had died when the same words were said I cannot breathe um, and like he meant he like asked the question like why is Floyd's death suddenly a revelation and an epiphany but Garner's wasn't so um, I'm gonna ask um, um, how does Kareem um, use real life examples to prove his point um, he mentions many examples, such as, like you said, the George Floyd versus Eric Garner and how one was way more brought to the public than the other. And he also uses um, many big brand um, and big brand stores, such as Target, Walmart, and Facebook, that have come out as supporting BLM. But then they more, a lot of businesses do it as more of a business move and a political move rather than them actually believing it and which has received some backlash because people who have been fighting for civil rights for such a long time know that it's a lifelong commitment and not just a summer job and he also relates it to he also uses the analogy to relate it to germs and how just a lot of people don't really believe in the fact that in system, systematic racism, even though it's there, but they can't physically see it because of their privilege. So he relates it to germs and how no one really believed it because they couldn't see it, but it, it was actually there all along and it was killing people at the same time. Yeah, and before Sunya continues, I want to go back to the very first paragraph in the article where the rhetoric device um and is used where he interrupts the ending of his sentence with three words that should be and so um the sentence goes the people out protesting systematic racism and value change are singing with open mouths their strong melodious songs about the america that could be that should be so this interruption draws attention to to the statement that follows that should be but it's not because he's misspoken or he's replacing the word should with could. They're both two very important words to his point that America has the potential to to change, that it could be. And also, it oh, like since its founding, it should have always been this way and America should be this way. And um, in the fourth paragraph, or yeah, the fourth, or yeah, the fourth paragraph, um, Kareem brings up one of his own personal experiences that he has faced, um, and like how it's kind of, um, kind of like I guess like a revelation for him to an extent. 
So, um, Maddie, uh, how, uh, what's the effect of Kareem using his personal experience in this article? Um, him using his personal experience kind of shows just how common these things actually happen because he experienced it firsthand. And he saw dozens of police officers across the country hugging and linking arms with protesters, which isn't something you really see in the media as the frustration and rage is more highlighted than the actual hope being displayed. And he relates it to his father, who was a police officer, and he believes that he would have faced the protesters with sympathy rather than scorn, which displays the hope that the country actually has. But then again, you don't see it because a lot of people don't use the hope to motivate the change. They use the frustration and rage to motivate it. Yeah. And um, so how does, or what is the purpose of Kareem not providing a solid counter argument in this article? Um, so I guess I'll answer, answer this question. So just like the first article where he didn't provide that much of a counter argument, that's because there really isn't that much of a counter argument to this. And he's just trying to get his point across as to why the anti-racism movement hasn't been able to sustain momentum. And then he gives examples and um, ideas of how it can be able to sustain momentum. And um, one of the ways he explains um, how it's not um, sustaining momentum is through a simile um, comparing civil rights to a rubber band, how it's how the public support stretches it forward a lot, but then they get distracted by some other news. It snaps back. And so it's stretched a little bit, and there's some progress, but it's not much, and it's not nowhere near what was promised and what they what 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 they want to to change. With that, I think that wraps up this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. And now I'm going to ask Serena, how does the author provide a solution at the end of the article? So, um, Kareem basically mentions that um, since we want, like, since we want to create a sustaining uh, movement, um, the best way to do so is basically by um, people staying informed on the implementation of solutions and knowing when to apply pressure, as well as um, being able to identify obstacles and centralize information for everyone to access, as in, like, not trying to be as biased, but at the same time, like, trying to make sure that are trying to uh, bring forward a change in society and being able to identify what is right and what is wrong.